Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he's got eight dads and he doesn't need a father, it's Arturo Zurita. Whoever hasn't seen BoJack Horseman, they're going to think that's like super, super, super weird. But yes, uh, glad to be back over here talking about a show that you and I both love. Yes. Those of you who aren't watching BoJack Horseman know that this is going to be a BoJack Horseman heavy episode. Uh, also It. Yeah. And then we're going to get very depressing towards the end of it. So <laughs> overall, this is a sad episode. Yeah, it's going to be uh, all depravity and depression from here on out yeah. on uh, this episode. Put, of put all the pills, rope, anything bad. Just, Trigger just put warning, that away while you watch this episode. Please. Yes. Uh, right. So we are going to get into our usual stuff in a little bit. We'll talk about the rights to the James Bond franchise and even more upheaval in the Star Wars director universe. But first, what you watching, Art? Well, aside from BoJack it's, Horseman. Besides BoJack Horseman, which is what everyone should be watching, I've been watching It. Uh, I, very rarely do I get that craving to go back into the theater, pay that full price because I still haven't got that movie pass that's come in. <laughs> uh, but I really want to watch It again. I know you didn't watch it. Not yet. Did you watch the original? Actually, the I haven't, miniseries? no. I know, I know okay. I'm in the minority there. A lot of people Yeah, No, really it's okay. That. Screw that. <laughs> yeah, that ruined my childhood. But... It, uh, I didn't think it was going to be much of it, especially because, like, I'm a big Fukunaga fan. Mm -hmm. I love that because, like, that man is a genius. Like, he shoots his own stuff. He's just good. And I know that a part of his draft still stuck with it, but um, it was a director who did Mama. Yeah, which, I mean, I don't know if you saw Mama. I wasn't really I Mama high on it. So I was a little bit surprised when people seemed to be coming out of it really satisfied. Yeah. Uh I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I think what really makes it is the kids. Uh, the kid from Stranger Things was hilarious. Super inappropriate. <laughs> Loved every bit of it. There was another kid in particular, and I wish I could remember his name, but he has a gazebo line. If you've seen the movie, you know that's the best line in the movie. But this kid, he's like the um, the one who's like afraid of everything because his mom is like hovering. all on him. He, that kid was fantastic. Acting-wise, that kid was phenomenal. And just all of them in general were, were, were really good. If you, I don't know if did you read the book? No, I'm I'm not a horror person generally, so it has to be really pushed on me for me. Okay, to yeah. It. So let's so let's talk about the horror side of it. I don't think it's scary at all. That's right? what I've been and hearing too. Packed theater, uh, and I think that's the beauty of it because even uh, Stephen King himself said when he wrote the book, it's not supposed to be scary. He just said he's like, all right, I keep writing all of these stories that have to do with you know. Uh, kids growing up and whatever, whatever, whatever. And people keep saying that I'm a horror writer. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create a character that shapeshifts into all of these scary things. So he did, and he decided the clowns were the scariest things in the world, and all clowns started going out of business <laughs> and stuff. But what makes the movie, again, is that love that you have for the characters. Like, you enjoy them. You want them to be okay. And especially after the first, and I don't think it's a spoiler because you see it in the trailer, but they don't show you what they do to that, what they do to Georgie. This is a rated R movie. <laughs> they do not care that it's children. And after that first stunt, you legit fear for these kids. And they do some jacked up stuff um, to the kids. So if that's not your thing, don't watch it. But in terms of being scared, I wasn't. I just found it enjoyable how they kept creating these like crazy visuals. People were scared in the theater. Like, if you were scared of clowns, <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think that this would be great for anybody who actually has that fear going in. If you have that fear of clowns, 
it's like someone tossing you out of a cruise and you can't swim. There's no hope for yeah. you at all. The one thing, though, I will say is that um, if I was a little kid and I saw this movie, I'm not sleeping for a week. Yeah, I mean, well, it's got an R rating for a reason, I guess. And yeah. uh, talking about that R rating, it broke a bunch of records with as yes! released this weekend, 117 million, and no yes. other movie came close to it. It was a otherwise a very slow weekend at the box office, but people seem to be really hungry for for something like this, something like it. Uh, that mm-hmm. I think. I read somewhere that people were projecting it would only have made like 60 million a couple of weeks ago. So that just gives mm-hmm. you a, a idea of how much it exceeded expectations by. So Definitely. people people really were ready for this. And I honestly think a lot of that is just like all this news about clowns in the woods and some of the viral marketing they're doing. I mean, we, do you think it had to do with that? I honestly look, it's, that was a year ago. It was a year ago, but the but the news stories uh, pop up now and then again. You know, Facebook keeps it alive and stuff. And That's true. I, I'm thinking of it from the perspective of like a, a 15 or 16 year old kid who's like joking around with his friends and doesn't really have much else to do. But like, this is this provides some kind of weird excitement that that they can attach stories to. Uh, yeah. And you know, I don't think it's been a it's been a while since we've gotten a creepy person movie. You know, we've had. Yeah, that's true. These different types of horror things that were more like environmental or or uh, demonic and demonic and stuff, but never that thing where you can come across. You're right. Like we haven't had a scream movie in a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we not, we haven't had a Freddy or a Jason movie in and a at while. At least not a successful one. But yeah, pretty much ha- yeah. not in a little while. So yeah, I think there's just a hunger for a movie like it, and it, it was mm-hmm. clear from the box office results. So I'm, I'm word of mouth and everything. I'm eager to, to I think go see watch. it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, check it we, out. We've talked in the past about how we both really enjoy uh, movies with kids that are taken seriously, that are treated like adults. So, uh, it, I'm excited to see what this ends up. It's being. got cool elements to it, especially when you consider that it's not just a horror movie. There's a comedic aspect to it. There's a friendship aspect to it. There's a whole aspect of like it, it's supposed like there's elements to it. I don't think it is a great movie, but it has so many good elements. You know, yeah. so you can go to one restaurant and eat something that's really, really good. Or go to a buffet that has a lot of things that are good. Right. You can go for one thing that's great or a lot of things that are good. And it's got a lot of elements to it, a lot of psychological things to deal with. So, so overall, a check it out experience. if you have it. Solid. I loved it. Solid. <laughs> um, so I have uh, been catching up on more Netflix stuff, as is my usual purview. I finished Atypical, which I brought up on our last podcast, and mm-hmm. kept enjoying it. It does have some predictable um, oh. sort of cl- cliched kind of like yeah. romantic things going on, but it remains it remains really charming. Uh, and I think you know Keir Gilchrist is so so good in the role uh, that it's worth sticking through. I also really like Michael Rappaport uh, as this like dad who who's clearly kind of like out of his out of his league in dealing with his son's autism. I think uh, it yeah. registers very honest. So I still would recommend Atypical, despite the fact that the second half isn't necessarily as good as the first half. But what I'm actually watching a lot of right now, I just finished the new Jason Bateman starring Netflix show, Ozark. Uh, so this is a show that takes place, it starts in Chicago and then transfers to the Ozark hey. area of Missouri. I hadn't really heard about it. And it's uh-huh. a story that essentially asks Jason Bateman uh, to play the role of money launderer for a cartel. It, it takes an average everyday accountant, I guess. I, I wasn't really mm-hmm. that familiar. 
and then makes him part of this larger drug operation. So when you have a premise like this, obviously the uh, main con comparison to come up is Breaking Bad, where you take a yeah. regular guy who has uh, more everyday uh, attributes that are useful, and then he uses them to be unconventional in his approach to crime. Which is why I sort of think of this as like B minus Breaking Bad, like the Great Value version. Of yeah, it, you know, it's. But I don't even want to say it's a version of Breaking Bad because there's so much more that Breaking Bad does. You know, uh, you were just talking about how something does a lot of things good. I mean, Breaking Bad did a lot of things great, and Ozark is maybe doing like yeah. a couple of them pretty good. Yeah, uh, I think Breaking Bad gave you a lot more intrigue, a lot more thoughtfulness. There was a a way that the characters all sort of, their actions felt really earned. When something would, mm -hmm. would come out of nowhere, you really, it, it felt like it had to be that way, even if it was a surprise. Yeah, no, I feel you. And Ozark never really does that. There's a lot of things that seem to happen to give you those, oh shit, what the fuck, Breaking Bad kind of moments. Uh, Didn't earn them though. And it, I think some of them were earned. Like there's definitely, it's exciting and it's, you want to stick with it, but there was definitely less of a uh, sense of of reason behind a lot of it. It felt a lot more yeah. like they were trying to give you shock than actually shock you. So I'm not going to say that it's not worth watching, uh, It's especially because I think there's been a lack of suspenseful drama shows in the years since Breaking Bad or Boardwalk Empire and shows like that went off the air. Uh, if you want that kind of vibe of like, uh, I want to know what's going to happen next. Are they going to die in this episode? It's a solid way to spend uh, 10 episodes, hour long. Not that bad. But yeah, if there are comparisons to Breaking Bad out there. Don't get your hopes that high. It's solid, but nothing more than maybe B-. minus. Do you think that binging it hurts it? Because you're talking about the suspension, right? right. And Breaking Bad built off of that. Yeah. Breaking Bad practically, I don't want to say, but created the half season? Mm, in a way. And left you waiting even more? It, in a way, it pioneered Oh, yeah, the, it, the, the ending half season thing. Yeah, totally. Yes. So, do you think, because I, I, I do feel that's an issue with a lot of Netflix shows. I wonder if we had time to process a weak thing and theorize, especially with a show like this, and just let it sit with a little. Do you think that would have affected it so, positively? So, I will say that, like, I didn't necessarily binge a lot of it in a row. I was giving it, like, a day or two, which is still... <laughs> you, wait, you wait a week every it, Tuesday night. Yeah, it, it wasn't, so it's not a week. It's, there's obviously a difference yeah. when you wait a week. Maybe it would have been a little more interesting. I think there's not necessarily enough to keep me there week to week. I think it's honestly more likely that I would oh, okay. have given up on the show had it not been so all available to me. It, that, yeah, yeah okay. I mean, it's, I'm not trying to say that like this is like a must binge kind of show. It's it's solid, but I don't think you feel like you're falling into a rabbit hole the way you do when you first start watching Breaking Bad or the way the first okay. season of Mr. Robot felt, where it's like, oh my god. Ooh. The, yeah. You know, this is this is insane, and I need to know what happens next. It's, yeah, doesn't. I'm gonna hit you with another one. Are you recommending Bloodline? Or are you recommending this show? I Both haven't. Okay, too. I haven't seen Bloodline. I have to consult to my off camera. Oh, you haven't seen it? Off -camera oh, my girlfriend. bad. I thought you had seen it. Bloodline, Ozark, probably Bloodline, right? Bloodline. The girlfriend. Because I've seen it. Bloodline. All right then. All right, cool. All right, so we are moving on to Yay or Nay News, the segment where we look at the latest happenings in the entertainment industry. And there is a big news story. Art, stop me when this sounds familiar. 
A director has parted ways with Stop. Lucasfilm over the new no. Star Wars movie. After Gareth Edwards was informally replaced by Tony Gilroy on Rogue One, and more recently, Lord and Miller were replaced by Ron Howard on the upcoming Han Solo origin story, Colin Trevorrow is now the latest director to bite the dust, no longer helming episode nine of the Star Wars film oh, franchise. Yeah, I did hear about this. Okay. Uh, initial rumors are that episode eight director Ryan Johnson may be selected to replace uh, him on the movie, but... It's just a rumor, and it's just another in a series of high-profile filmmakers parting ways somewhat controversially with a Disney franchise. So, Art, are you yay or nay on Lucasfilms once again pulling the plug on one of its directors? I mean, I want to say nay, because, like, it's bogus for the, from a man. Part of me wants to say yay, because Colin Trevorrow... It's got that... He was breaking records with Jurassic... I think he's doing the sequel, right, for Jurassic World? Yes. So he's got his baby over there. You know, Universal's treating him well. Yeah. He, yes, the mouse is mightier, but... he Yeah, he's Universal's big money man, too. I mean, yeah, so... It's a lot of resp responsibility on one I think it's what happened. I think, I think someone from Disney went and saw the book of Henry and said, get this man out of our house. <laughs> Probably, right? I mean, like, if you're calling Trevorrow, <laughs> and the only yeah. movie you've made other than... You know, your old film Safety Not Guaranteed, Safety Not Guaranteed and Jurassic World is that stinker. Maybe Disney you know, just doesn't trust you anymore. I don't know. Like, that's how bad it was. They're like, they, didn't even, they walked out yeah. of the book. I they're like, yo, get this man out of I here. I mean, I'm going to go against my better judgment and actually go yay on this news story. Spe right. Specifically because it's Colin Trevorrow. The dude already has a huge, huge franchise to dedicate his time and energy to. He's had a shot with, you know reviving a nostalgia property. I think there are other directors who you could give the job to. Directors who maybe have made better films. I mean, I still think Safety Not Guaranteed is that dude's best movie. And, you know, it, it's not exactly amazing. It's good. So there's better directors out there to, to get a shot. I mean, why not give it to somebody like Patty Jenkins off of Wonder Woman, even though she's probably going to be busy yeah. directing that sequel too. There's a right, lot then of... Then it's better. Yeah, there's a lot of directors out there, a lot of experienced directors out there. I'm only... Not, I'm, I don't like that Disney is constantly doing this, but I do yeah. find it weird when all these names are now thrown out there. Oh, like, I want this director who I really like to replace Colin Trevorrow. It's like, why, That's not how things work. why would you get, why would you want one of your favorite filmmakers to be subjected to this process where they spend months and months and months working on a franchise movie only to be fired off of it? You know, because I want them to, just like that Scorsese DiCaprio Joker movie. Okay? Right, that's absolutely gonna happen. But, uh, <laughs> what do you think about Ryan Johnson doing too, though? Because so, I'm the same way, though. I think Ryan Johnson and Colin Trevor are good directors. I mean, I think good I like her, directors. I like Ryan Johnson more than Colin Trevorrow. Uh, right. I think it's worth noting that a lot of these Star Wars movies have had controversy behind the scenes. Even The Force Awakens had some controversy behind the scenes with them throwing out a script and starting over again. It doesn't really seem like Episode Eight has had any controversy behind the scenes. Like, he's running a tight ship over there. Uh, it's because Ryan Johnson actually invented that machine from Looper, <laughs> and anytime something goes wrong, he just goes back and fixes it. That's it's why. the most likely explanation at this point, because Disney seems to have problems with all their other directors. I think he's also very deadpan. Because as we know, that the whole thing with uh, the Lego dudes, uh, Lord and Miller, was that they were a little too comical. Yeah. Boom. So they brought back someone who's a little bit more serious. Mm -hmm. Ryan Johnson's very serious. You don't get more serious than Brick, <laughs> yeah. than Looper, than those type of movies. 
Um, Trevorrow, I think, is very tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. Uh, with safety not guaranteed. Jurassic World Look, even crazy. had a bunch of. Jurassic World has a lot of moments where he's going, ha ha. All the Jake ha, Johnson ha. stuff. Very. Yeah, uh, the Jake Johnson stuff, the whole all in your face. Look at we're a commercial. Get it? Yeah. Ha ha. He like he loved doing that, and that those are the parts that I think kind of worked in in Jurassic World. They I don't, they're not gonna let him do that in in Star Wars, and maybe that was starting to creep through, and they're like, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson seems to be very dark. This middle one seems to be the darkest. They liked how they worked. They're like, just finish it off. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see what direction they end up going in. And I'd be for them doing, uh, giving Ryan Johnson another. I like when these franchises have some level of continuity. Keep someone. Yeah. Yeah. So, if not, uh, Uwe Ball. <laughs> yeah, there's always Uwe Ball. I'm pretty sure he's available. <laughs> Uh, Cabin in the Woods filmmaker Drew Goddard will write and direct Fox's hey. impending X-Force movie. He's taking over from Joe Carnahan, who had been attached as recently as last year. Goddard more recently helmed the Daredevil Netflix show and was Oscar-nominated for The Martian. Art, yay or nay cool. on Goddard as the man to bring X-Force to the screen? I, I just don't care. I'm going to give you that that uh, that emoji where the dude's just doing this. It ends up being the emoji I use the most. Uh, I think he's cool, dude. Yeah, I like Drew Goddard. I like him. I like his style. Yeah. I am sick and tired of all this X-Men stuff. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm well, finally getting there to that superhero point where I'm just like... The other day I was watching... Uh, I don't know what I was watching. FX commercial came out and I'm like, oh, it's uh, Legion, I guess, uh, it's the second season. No, Gifted. Yeah. So what? Marvel has a movie in theaters right now? Inhumans? I thought that was supposed to be, like, a movie, but it's just a pilot episode yep. to a series? Yep. Why is it in theaters? Does does your mind change at all if I tell you that this presumably would be the movie that stars Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool, though, in the team-up? What do you mean? So X-Force, I believe, is supposed to be with... Oh, X-Force, yeah, that's right. He would be involved. Is it a movie or is it a TV show? Movie. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I completely forgot about who was playing Deadpool. Yeah. I guess... I mean, uh, They just so... gotta get their stuff together, man. Yeah. Like, they, they can make good projects. Deadpool's good, but it's not connected to anything. Mm-hmm. And then Lo- Logan's fantastic, mm-hmm. but it's not connected to anything. What's going on? I don't know. I mean, so I'm going to go nay, but it's only because I'm, like, one of the very few people in the world that did not enjoy Deadpool. Uh, I know, I know. Uh, rip me apart in He's the comments section. That's fine. Uh, but I just can't really get that excited about another movie in this whole X-Men expanded universe. I've kind of grown tired of all like you you know there's legion and there's gifted and there's the old getting re- a little fatigue yeah, can't keep up a, a bunch of x-men fatigue I, I just can't really stick with this series right now so mm-hmm. uh is a good choice i think it's a good choice but it's not something that's going to get me in interested particularly in the movie fair enough the accountant director gavin o'connor has stepped into the vacant role yeah, of boy. suicide squad 2 director. It's not the first time that O'Connor has stepped in for another director. He was the guy who ultimately finished Jane Got a Gun after Lynn Ramsey uh, (laughs) exited that movie. Here, he replaces David Ayer, who directed the first film, but was distanced from the movie during the reshoot phase. Art, yay or nay for O'Connor for Suicide Squad 2? I will watch it only if he brings in uh, your boy from Warrior. Your boy from uh, Lawless. No, he wasn't in Lawless. Your boy. Was, 
from Tom Hart. Joel Edgerton. Okay. If he brings in Joel Edgerton into Suicide Squad, which I don't even I don't even know why I'm wishing this. This is so selfish. yeah. Why would you why do would that? I want to ruin. Why would I ruin? Like Joel's got a streak don't right ruin now. A He's good directing. Thing. He's doing some great things. But uh, if he drags him into it, then maybe. And Joel Edgerton just like steals the show. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to wish anybody a movie in the DC universe because I I'm so hesitant to get on board with any of those movies. But fine, you know, Gavin O'Connor's a really good director, a good director of actors who, I, you know, I think that will be make a difference hopefully in a movie like that. Imagine if he's able to take those characters. Cause that's my biggest thing. I, do, I, I like genuinely don't like the characters. Yeah. I, I really don't. Um, if you do, that's great. But imagine if he goes in there and he just like, not only 360s it, no, 360s, 180s it, yeah. but it, the continuity still fits. Right, somehow. Like, like, like somehow you fall in love with these characters, <laughs> even though they're still That'd part of the this other stroke. one. That would be the masterstroke. That would be great. That would be, yeah. I'd buy his jersey the next day. Yeah, I mean, I prefer O'Connor's work on smaller films like like Warrior. Uh, well, he, Warrior's favorite. Yeah, he did Miracle films. also. I, so. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I'd love to see him do more movies like that. But, you know, it, somebody's got to direct Suicide, Suicide Squad. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling strong. Uh, oh. MGM and Eon Productions are offering up the rights to distribute future Bond properties. Columbia Pictures previously held the rights, but it appears Warner Pictures has become the front runner for this round of bidding. But there may be un, unexpected tough competition. Apple. Twenty four. Apple, as well as Amazon, are apparently interested in acquiring the Bond franchise and might even be willing to outspend Warner Brothers to get it. For the tech companies, owning Bond would give them a name-brand movie franchise that's essentially a license to print money in modern Hollywood, but they could also then expand Bond into spin-offs, TV shows, and more. Art, are you yay or nay on James Bond moving to one of these streaming studios? Yeah, sure. I again, it's it's by default. It's an I don't care. <laughs> Would be interesting if Apple buys it, which you know they're gonna re-upload the movies and just be like brand new, <laughs> like they always do when yeah. they take a show. Uh, Have you heard of the Beatles? Oh, <laughs> brand new! You hear about that new Michael Jackson album? That's literally just a playlist. Yeah. Uh, it'd be, it'd be really interesting to then see the next James Bond movie. And it zooms in on the phone, and it's all the things that he has to fucking do. Yeah, and, I mean, and, it, and now he's got the iWatch. No more Rolex, you know that. Rolex. <laughs> they're gone. gonna replace now Q with that. an Apple Genius Bar. Holy moly! Hey Siri, help me out. <laughs> Just he's like the rock in that commercial that he made. Um, I say, hey Siri, look at this. Hey Siri, and she. Just okay. Um, no, you see, that's what happens. I, I can't have James Bond getting distracted because he's in line waiting for the iPhone eight. Amazon. Would be interesting, I guess, because then you have them. They have a, a streaming service where you could be like, hey, if you're a fan, you know, and you don't have your platinum box set that's at home, now you can watch it on the go. Mm -hmm. I guess if there was anyone to get it, I'd be cool with them. Not only that, Amazon has their um, path to the movie theaters already established with The Big Sick that's and Manchester true, that's by the true. Sea. They've put out a bunch of movies that have been relatively successful in movie theaters. Uh, I think this is an interesting move. I mean, 
I am sick of cinematic universes, but I do think that a Bond unit, cinematic universe potentially it could be cool. You know, there's people have a long for a long time talked about like, what if we could get like a 006 movie or a 005 movie, and is there like a Money Penny movie out there? We should have done that a long time ago, to be completely honest. Yeah, and maybe yeah, and maybe like the time has passed for there to be interest in that. I think like maybe if you're talking about <laughs> if you're talking about like when we have to eventually inevitably no. replace Daniel Craig, you could do it with Bruh. a whole new line of stuff. Exactly. I, I Sure, I think it's when they finally replace him, right? Yeah. And then just change everything. But we are not... We are, like, in our fifth Bond, like, like actual actor Bond. We're 23 Bonds in. Don't give me that, oh, you're tarnishing the reputation by right. starting at 006. Oh, you want to really spend... A There's 23 of these movies. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I, I, I'll i never buy Do the it. argument of, like, tarnishing the reputation, ruining my childhood. Like, that stuff's still there. This is just our, our new spin on it. And you know what? If this stuff all doesn't work, they'll stop doing it. Like... It's that simple. I, I would be curious to see how they try to uh, expand on Bond or do yeah. like a James Bond Juniors. I don't <laughs> Junior 07. Yeah. Spectre exists. Go take your risk. You already took some. All right. So uh, we got to get into the Rough Cuts quick news stories, responding just briefly to them. First, I got you. First comes first. Ryan Murphy is making a One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest prequel for Netflix with Sarah Paulson to set to play the role of a young nurse ratchet, the part that earned Louise Fletcher the Oscar for Best Actress in a Leading Role. Art, yay or nay on Ryan Murphy revisiting Cuckoo's Nest? I'll say, yeah, it's a prequel. Good actress. It's on Netflix, so it's not going to be all up in your face like, oh, you got to go watch this thing. And and uh, I'm going to say yes because it may introduce people to uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest who may have not seen it. That's a solid argument, but I got to go, no. Ryan Murphy is making too many TV shows. Leave something else to the rest of us. Don't. It, I mean, I know I just talked about the ruining my childhood argument, but stop ruining childhoods, <laughs> Ryan Murphy. HBO has announced Veep will end after its upcoming seventh season in 2018. Since premiering in 2012, the show has won 12 Emmys and has been nominated for a buttload of others' art. Yay or nay on Veep finally ending. Yeah, I tried watching the first season. I, I really couldn't. And just see, I, no offense to, to her, Dreyfus, but... Comedy God. I'm, yeah, I don't I don't care. Yeah, I mean, I, really, I, I am going to go with Ye as well as someone who has seen a few episodes and, and enjoyed Veep. I, I do plan to Ooh. catch up, hopefully in time to watch this last season. But, you know, there I think there needs to be an end to some comedies sometimes. You know, you don't want them yes. r getting run into the ground. And first of all, like... I've, from everything I've read, the show has been phenomenal pretty much the whole way through, so let's keep yeah, that streak sure. going. Give, give awards to somebody else. You and know that's that they, the two main year, argument. Right? It's gotten to the point where it's just like, okay, it's ridiculous now. Two years after it's ended, she's still gonna get nominated for the same Yeah, it's, it, they might as well re rename the uh, Golden Globe it's leading dumb. actress thing uh, Best Julia Louis-Dreyfus in a Comedy or Musical. Just like the Oscars are Meryl Streep's nominated <laughs> ground. Uh, oh. Gal Gadot, Gadot, excuse me, was runner up to pronounced Zarita was runner up to Charlize Theron for the role of Furiosa in Mad Max Fury Road, according to new interview on Hollywood Reporter's Awards Chatter podcast. Art, yay or nay on the idea that Gadot could have played Furiosa? No. Charlize is perfect. I'm gonna go nay too. I, I liked Gal Gadot in uh, Wonder Woman, and I think cool. there's yeah. something about her 
nice. She's too nice. Yeah, there's a, there's something to her energy and also the fact that she doesn't necessarily, she sounds foreign, like she doesn't have a perfect grasp over mm-hmm. an American English accent uh, that makes her good for something like Wonder Woman that would make her not as good for something like Furiosa. I like the gruffness that Ther- Theron brought to yes. the role. And also I think yep. Theron's older and I think that works for the role too. Oh, yeah. So. Y'all have seen Mad Max. You know the answer. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> Stop playing. <laughs> Damien Chazelle is making a mu- musical series for Netflix called oh. The Eddie. The series is set in Paris, France, and Chazelle will direct two of the eight episodes. Art, yay or nay, on this choice of projects for the La La Land auteur. Is it going to be shot all in film, 70 millimeter? <laughs> I actually don't know what it's going to Will there be alternative endings? <laughs> I don't know how yeah, cool Netflix's alternative I, I, endings. I'm I'm all for it uh, because it'd be cool to see him. He move from TV, uh, see, uh, move from movies to see what he can do with TV with a couple of episodes. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a bunch of filmmakers are doing this. Like, let me get a TV series thing. I mean, his Oscar buddy Barry Jenkins has also got a series coming out for uh, Amazon in the continuing war between Amazon and Netflix. So I'm all for it. Cool. Damien Chazelle hasn't made anything I disliked so far, so I'll give him benefit until he benefit of the doubt until he does. Uh, people got their first glimpse of Mr. Robot star Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury in the Ooh. upcoming biopic <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody from director Brian Singer. Art, does this photo oh. make you more excited for the movie, yay or nay? Boy, let me work those double thumbs, the only ones I'm going to give you on this yeah. show today. That looks incredible. And this is coming from someone who was devastated. Okay, whatever. Uh, I was, I was uh, sad that... Um, Sacha Baron Cohen couldn't do it. Sacha Baron Cohen, I felt, was perfect. And it's not, it wasn't just the fact that Sacha Baron Cohen left, the fact that he's got the talent, the acting, the singing, all of that to go with it. But it was the idea that I feel they want to go a tame version, and that kind of really upset me. But he looks really good. And it's got me back up there. I used to feel so devastated about the Sacha Baron Cohen thing, but now it looking like we made a good hey, one there. All right, now you see where I was going with that. <laughs> with Joey, Joey's in season two yes, of Mr. Robot. Yes. There you go. Dude, Rami Malek is, is absolutely... The, just a perfect looking doppelganger in the part. I really like him as an actor on Mr. Robot, so I have no reason to uh-huh. believe he would be bad in this role. I like him as an actor in general. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting choice of having Brian Singer for the project, too. I haven't really liked a lot of Brian Singer's oh, movies. Brian Singer? Oh, Brian uh, Singer? But the photo. We're just talking about the photo. The photo that, is insane, ooh, though. Definitely ready. But, but, that guy who played Tupac looks like Tupac. That is a good point. You know what I mean? Which I will That's ignore for thing. now. In our last rough cut story, <laughs> Indiana Jones 5 will return in 2020, but Shia LaBeouf's character, Mutt, no longer will be part of the mix. Yay or nay on them abandoning the young character for the new Indiana Jones sequel. Is it still going to be uh, Ford? Uh, yeah, that's apparently the plan. Yeah, I'm for it because Harrison Ford's going to die again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't... I feel like they're just going to pretend this. that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull didn't no, happen. Stop. No, you know what's going to happen. He's dying in Blade Runner, the new one. He's dying in this one. They're remaking everything he's been in, and he's going to die in every single thing. Just kill him off so he doesn't have to feel obligated they're gonna to They're going to make a sequel sequels. to Morning Glory and just to kill him off. <laughs> like, right before he does the news, okay? Yeah, um, I, I'm... Nay, I, I don't know. I, I don't need more Indiana You're Jones. You're this one. You're this uh, one. <laughs> yeah, let's go shruggy guy. I'm yeah. shruggy guy. So, All right, so we move forward to our topic of the week. Uh, and this week we are discussing how Hollywood deals with depression and sadness. There's been a slew of newly released shows and movies that uh, take on protagonists that are dealing with the affliction that in one way or another are are 
glamorizing or, or making it more relatable. Uh, mm -hmm. We just talked a little bit in the beginning about how Art and I are both huge fans of the show Bojack Horseman, which, excuse me, uh, which in my opinion is doing the whole discussion of depression thing better than anything better than any right now. One else. Uh, Art, yeah. what is it about the show that you think hits so well in terms of how it deals with depression? Um, I've always said this. I've always been that advocate who says, if you want to handle something that's super serious, cartoons, <laughs> talking animals, anything that is as far away as possible from human beings, because that's what it's about. I've always, uh, one, one of the best books dealing with the Holocaust, Mouse. Because it completely strips away any, you know, connection that you may have with a Jew or, or, or a German. And it's just uh, cats and mice. Mm -hmm. Zootopia. Right. Uh, you know, after I got overhyped and now it's cool to hate on it. But, you know, that movie covered certain aspects of, of uh, race and, and prejudice you know, in general. Prejudice with animals, mm -hmm. you know. And a lot of people are like, oh, this was a this person could also be that person and oh my goodness by stripping away our own cultures and ethnicities and just putting it on, on a Rorschach type of thing we're able to see it from a perspective that's better and not being manipulated by our own bias I think that's what's great about Bojack Horseman is that if you were to have something like and I'm trying to think of like shows I don't watch them so I don't know but those shows where it's like a guy going through depression and yada 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 mm -hmm. you're like this is corny this is cheesy we all know how this is going to go. He's, he's going to find his muse, whatever it is. Uh, and yeah, the difference here is that it shows you, no, this person is depressed for the first season, for the second season, for the third season, for the fourth season. It's going to be for the fifth season because the reason he's depressed is because he doesn't change. Mm -hmm. It like, it is brutally honest at getting there. And I think that's where just animation as a whole has gotten where it's just like, you know what? Uh, with animation, we can get to the darkest parts because we had this veil in front of it of a talking horse, mm -hmm. of all these crazy puns, of a burping drunk professor, of, I don't know, Bob's Burgers, I guess, can get dark. Like, all these different things, you know, that is... South Park, one of the pioneers since the beginning, you know what I mean? Simpsons, too. Of being, Simpsons, as well. All, all, Futurama, I guess I would throw in there, as well. All of these shows that um, is adult, are adult animation mm -hmm. that is able to get into some really deep stuff because it doesn't take itself too seriously. I think the best serious serious shows are the ones that don't take themselves seriously. Yeah, uh, I've actually listened to a lot of interviews with Raphael Bob Wasberg, who created and show runs BoJack Horseman, and he talked about one of the things that he thinks uh, enables the show to go to such dark, serious places is the fact that the show is so silly. There's there's 100%. when you're sure. willing when you sit down and you watch the show and you're so willing to let it go that far in the silliness direction, then you're also willing to let the tone sort of flex in the other direction. There is like a, uh, a flexibility, a Just rubberness to the tone it. of that show. Yes. And if you're going to accept the fact that, all right, we're going to have a underwater episode where Bojack can't talk to the fish because they're all communicating, you, you can also accept when Bojack goes on a minute-long monologue about how he feels empty inside. So yes. uh, I think it's really interesting, partially because... Um, similar to the way that depression, I guess, works with real life, it's you know, it's bursts of of sadness, and it's things that it, it it's not something that it's like a period. It's something that is constantly kind of under the surface. So with a show like yeah. BoJack, uh, you, you get a lot of joy the way that 
a lot of people are able to from life, but then the sadness sort of interjects itself in the, into the plot. And I think it, it creates a much more natural experience of how people deal with depression. And, you know, oddly, these very un, unhuman characters become very humane uh, through this show. Uh, but, you know, you talked about some uh, the idea of other shows handling depression and it maybe being a little more, little more melodramatic. I'm also having... Heavy-handed, yeah. Yeah, heavy-handed, too. I, um, I'm struggling to think of some more shows outside of, like, I know In Treatment was on HBO for a little while when uh, in the 2000s, but uh, one show that I think handles it pretty well is Mr. Robot. Uh, it doesn't necessarily yeah. go too much into depression. It's more mental health. Uh, but he, I think it does an interesting job of showing how his his physical his his mental symptoms manifest physically uh, and how he's not able to be physically well if his mind isn't well that's a good one again i haven't seen season two so i don't know how well to develop it but i think yeah that's a genius perspective of it i think there are many shows and i think what handles it well uh is if you're overviewing the character or if you're actually in the mindset of the character. And Mr. Robot is the perfect example. The way that it's shot. The way that it feels. They do a it's lot respect, to really it's respecting make you him. Put, be in his shoes. Feel yes, how he feels. His headspace, literally with the way they do headspace. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the biggest things is Mr. Robot truly gets into the mindset of him. I'm trying to think of, uh, there was another show, it's, it's like slipping my mind. Um, well, how would you contrast that with maybe something like 13 Reasons Why, then? Uh, a Netflix show that we've talked about some of our issues with. Yeah. Uh, well, Netflix has been pushing it with, with all these atypical, you know, with, with, with being able to handle, uh, you know, people who are on the spectrum, with To the Bone, with being able to handle people who are dealing with uh, eating disorders. To me, I watch it again. See, that's the thing a lot of people think that I hate it. <laughs> but it just it felt heavy-handed because it's trying to give you this message Yeah. of... You are responsible for somebody else, like you like, and doing it, it in a kind of like slick, fun way. In a yeah, you're being entertained by the thing that you're trying to prevent, and I don't know why people keep ignoring that Google searches and suicides rose right after the show, mm-hmm. because literally the message of the show, which uh, oh yeah, you're also because there's a season two coming out. <laughs> uh, you're telling people that if you're thinking of committing suicide, here's an episode that shows you how to go through with it. And here is an entire season prolonged into 13 episodes that people were entertained by because a girl played this game by committing suicide. So you know what you can do? Go play that same game. And finally, people will talk about you like they talked about Hannah Baker. What about the way that the show does it, though, is the problem to you? Do you think it's just the material itself, or is it that presentation? Is it that they show the suicide? Is it that they don't necessarily show how depressed she is? I think it's a perfect example. She is suffering from a lot of things. The character of Hannah Baker is suffering from a lot of things. I I personally do not mind the the cutting of it. Mm You know, like, it's one of those things when you're arguing with someone, but you don't really care about it, but they are so on something that you got to now change your stance on it. I have no problem with showing. I, I'm, I'm that person. I'm completely, look, show whatever you want. Mm-hmm. That's art. My problem is that when you're trying to have that, that stance of, oh, this is a show that helps suicide. The suicide, like, I don't know, what is it? The suicide society tells you to not do that. Right. Do you get what I mean? So don't pull that. Now I have to pretend like it's sort of like a gun violence not you know what i mean right. now i have to pretend like i'm against it just because you're so dumb and contradicting yourself right 
You brought up a, a perfect, uh, great thing about it. My one of my biggest problems from the show is that people think it's gospel. People think that Hannah Baker is a real character. Some people think this is based off of a true story. It is not. Mm-hmm. This is a male dude who wrote a book about a girl who played a game with suicide. Hannah Baker is not a real character. There is no real person. Bet me. <laughs> like, don't just say, oh, no, no, yeah, there is. I bet. I don't care who you've met. Show me somebody. If it is a real person, then there's bound to have been a case. No person is like Hannah Baker who has a freaking podcast voice. <laughs> And artistic skills to write 13 tapes, but is super depressed and doesn't know how to express her emotions. Yeah, that's one of the things that really did bother me about 13 Reasons. That's a fake character. 13 Reasons Why is how calm, cool, and collected she is uh, in approaching her suicide. It's so... Yeah, because that's not a real character. It's such an easy decision for her. And that's... I mean, you know, you can say what you want to, but it's... it's, I do think that's not a really responsible way to... Uh, demonstrate it's lying to people. It. Yeah, and it's exactly. it's lying. To, it's it's a dishonest take on on the and issue. That's why I like these other shows where we actually are from their perspective, where we're like those decisions that they're making actually make sense. So um, this reflects. Yeah. Let's let's move into a movie that you and I saw recently, and uh, we're gonna throw out a bit of a spoiler warning because in order to talk about Ingrid Goes West, uh, we want to get into the way that that movie ended. So if you don't really want to get spoiled on Ingrid Goes West, you can click ahead using the time codes in the description down below. But if you don't think you're going to see the movie, just stick with us through the rest of this discussion. Sure. I think it'll be worthwhile. You think it's worth watching in theaters or at home? I think so, but I would say that it's it's for a specific crowd. It's for art. more of like an art crowd. I, w- I would compare it kind of to Spring Breakers, like if that movie appealed to you Ooh. or if you enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, it, it I say rent it. It's it's definitely an interesting movie, uh, or yeah. or if you're just really interested in like the way that social media impacts yeah. people, I think it's worth watching. Um, no, it's worth watching because we're having a conversation on it. That too, that too. So uh, art. That's a good movie. Uh, that is another movie that deals with a character that's got some mental issues going on. Aubrey Plaza's character Ingrid is uh, clearly depressed throughout the movie and uses this friendship. Uh, with the Elizabeth Olsen character to try and bring validation into her life. Uh, I know you wanted to get into the ending of that movie. What about it specifically? Um, Well, I think before we get to the ending, what what I think makes the movie good is that when you just don't have a discussion about a movie that just doesn't make you think, that's a bad movie. That's a bad movie. Even if it's a bad movie, it's a worse movie if it doesn't even have you think at all. It gives you no first thought. Yeah, at first I thought I was like, nah, that was lame. Was it? Is Does this movie not fit everything I was just saying about putting you literally in the shoes of the character? You follow Aubrey Plaza to the point where you're like, this girl's crazy. And then in a scene, you're rooting for her to get her way. Mm-hmm. You are hoping she is able to get that truck back in time. You are hoping that she's able to uh, uh, outdo this dude, the brother, who's trying to screw her over. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, wait, 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 she's crazy. Mm-hmm. You, you Before you realize that you're like in too deep with her. Exactly. That's a good movie because it's a character who's honestly despicable in a, yeah. in a sense. But you side with her at some points. And then by the end of it, you have to realize, wow, you actually dragged me along for your ride for a bit and actually made me understand a character that honestly – like, I would make fun of. Mm-hmm. A character that would be like, you're a weirdo, you're crazy. Oh, yeah. I'm putting a restraining out. And that's sometimes what the best movies are when they can that's get you movie. to emphasize, empathize with someone who, who does sort of seem like uh, out of your yeah. mindset or, or exactly. different from you. Uh, and, and for this in particular, you know, 
there, we I think a lot of times we we talk down about the whole idea of like fangirls or, or creepy internet stalkers yeah, we and but there, you can see the thought process here and how it, it sort of and it makes them real. It make yeah, it makes them real and it, it really like it it's something that helps her get through her pain in a mm-hmm. weird way. I'm not trying to justify her actions, it. but yes. it, it's you know, everybody has their different coping mechanisms mm-hmm. and her coping mechanism is to sort of emulate uh, the people yes. she sees on Instagram. I think that's what made it believable. I don't want to compare it to like a taxi driver, but you know, like a taxi driver, you're following him and then you realize oh, this is kind of crazy. Like this, this dude starts doing some like jacked up stuff here in the same way. What made it so good? It kind of, it does it not kind of feel like a Sundance version of an episode of black mirror. Yeah. That's very, that's very one. tiny yeah. kind of like, like a uh, Sundance version of that nosedive episode almost. Okay, the beginning of the movie is that nosedive episode, first of all. Uh, but it was, like you mentioned, she's doing these crazy things. But any other movie would have just had her do these crazy things to do them, to be like, oh, look at how insane she is. But then they show you that cutaway scene where she's crying, mm-hmm. where she's remembering her mom mm-hmm. when she's just sitting there alone. And then you realize there's people out there just like this person. This isn't a caricature. There are people out there like this person, and this movie shows you their perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she she's clearly a broken person. There's a void in her mm-hmm. life, and whatever she was getting through this Instagram process was was helpful. I mean, I, I think there it's interesting to see a movie that takes on something like this. I, I do think there are few movies that deal with people who uh, seek alternative methods of healing when they're not drugs and alcohol. There's a lot of... You know, yes. person was depressed and turned to drugs and alcohol. There's leaving Las Vegases and stuff like that. But there's not a lot of movies where it's like, I am really sad. I'm going to pretend I'm someone else, or I'm really sad. I'm going I to need attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to change everything about myself and, and that dig into the depression beneath it. So uh, I that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about Ingrid Goes West. And uh, I'm not sure how you, you felt about that uh, ending, but I thought it was a really interesting turn to to have. Uh, when she does, she goes through this live stream where she attempts suicide on it, yeah. and uh, wakes up in the hospital with tons and tons of followers, the, the getting the kind of adoration that she put onto others, and she doesn't seem thrilled. I mean, I w- I would say she doesn't seem upset, but it's it's certainly not the kind of reaction you think you would get from her at the end. There, what, what did you take from a uh, Ingrid's reaction to her tons of followers. Well, like you said, for those who may be watching, because you're all rebels and you didn't care about spoilers, yeah, you know, she moves to L.A. to uh, befriend this Instagram, very famous person, and then when everything gets revealed that she's like a stalker and a creep and she can no longer have that attention that she's seeking uh, after her mother's death, uh, she tries to commit suicide on a live stream, and that's what makes her famous when she wakes up in the garage because Ice Cube Jr. (laughs) (laughs) saves her. Yeah, and... uh, I thought she got what she wanted. Did you actually, you, you read it like she wasn't happy? I read it like, like it ends right when she's just like, finally, I got what I want. I think, I, so I do think that there was a bit of like a, a validation there, but I, I don't know if it's an empty validation of sorts, you know? Oh, no, it definitely is. Yeah. But, but remember th- what she said right when she was about to die. What's the point of living if you don't have people to share it with? True, true. That's what she got. Yeah, and I guess in a way that is, you know, everything she wanted. I do, 
you know, she's still Ingrid. She's still, she's still crazy. We spent we spent an hour and forty minutes with, so it's not like she changed overnight. Yeah, I do wonder. You know, I mean, <laughs> there is a really uh, weird, you know, message there to deal with. Like, is is yes. is is like crazy actions like that? Is live streaming your suicide? Is is risking your own health uh, yes. or, or comfort for the entertainment of, of others? Let's worth get into that. All Let's of get this. into that. I mean, what is your opinion on that? I mean, well, obviously, like my opinion on the idea is it's not worth it. But my idea, my my opinion on the idea of Ingrid discussing that possibility, I don't showing it it by showing it. Yeah, I don't think that they're advocating it. Um, I think there's you know by showing how clearly psychopathic she's been throughout the film and how how think, yes how her you know, reward center is clearly off how she, the way she feels validation is completely off from a normal person. It, it's trying to show you that these are the actions of someone who is unwell and to seek justification or validation this way is to be unwell. Uh, so for me, I took the ending as a warning to people, uh, not necessarily a uh, call to action. Agreed, same way. When I saw the ending, I was just like, "This is someone's bound to see this and be like, that's all I need. The, the sort of the 13 reasons why thing. Mm-hmm. This is all I need to do to gain attention. The difference being is that everybody sympathized for Hannah Baker and everyone like refused to blame her. Mm-hmm. And they were all like, no, it's all our faults. She's queen. The, like you said, here, that ending, it's not glorifying it. Unless you were sleeping for that hour 40, then you would know that the movie is clearly telling you anything she finds happiness with is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like you're watching Breaking Bad. Just because at the end he finally smiles doesn't mean that all, what, five, Worth six it. seasons? Worth it. Do you get what I... My brother-in-law's so dead. You, Worth it. Spoiler <laughs> alert. You put, you put it perfectly. So it, it's like you had a whole entire movie telling you, preparing you for that ending. But I, I, when it ended, I was just like, Man, you're, someone's bound to watch this movie and think... That's not a bad idea. That's, that's not a bad idea. But then I thought, I'm like, okay. But that's a person who's already unwell. Thank you. So, yeah, that's exactly what I'm getting at. Because would you say, I'm sure you see Quentin Tarantino movies. Are you of that mindset? And I'm pretty sure you're not. But are you of that mindset where you shouldn't show things in fear of someone who isn't stable watching it and then mimicking it? Because this is where the discussion is going. I mean, I I am not hard of like like steadfast in that my my opinion is that there are like responsible ways to go about showing things and that if like you are trying to do something with your work that you shouldn't you you should know what you're irreversible is that bad to show i mean i don't necessarily think so i i think you know like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo has something similar. All right. rape scenes, by the way. Yeah, no, but that's the thing. Is that especially Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, they come back to it and they, they make it it's part of her character. And I think that there are ways to justify just about anything on screen. So if that's okay. the answer to your question. Yeah, the way that I see it is I don't think there should be artistic censorship. I think there should be viewer censorship. <laughs> like, we can outlaw, and I guess now we're getting into, like... <laughs> You can outlaw Policy. certain weapons, right? But someone's gonna still make a makeshift bomb. Someone's going to get a, a freaking pole, a stick, and, and do harm to people. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. And I know it's something where it's just like, yeah, we have to be watching out for each other. But in, in that case, I feel like if someone is in that condition, 
then we should be looking out for that person to make sure they don't do it. You know what I mean? Right. Like if you are on a diet, that doesn't mean everyone in the world can now not serve carbs. Totally. Or sweets. And to me, I view it more like in the sense that to something like 13 Reasons Why, when the suicide... It gave a view... When, when they come out and say, like, this is bad for people who are at mm -hmm. risk of suicide, then there should be, like, a collective uh, voicing of that opinion. But that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean, like, you can't make the thing. It's just, you know, let, I think we as a society can do a lot to, uh, you know, say this is bad for us or this is good for us. And Yeah, and we're in the Internet age. You know right away whether to watch something or not. Like we said, we were talking about we it earlier. It Straight up said, yeah. It, they tell you detail for detail without even spoiling. It just tells you exactly the words, when they're said, you know, situations, visuals that may be upsetting to you. If you don't want to watch it, skip it. Uh, and this and um, lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, OK, so let's circle back a bit because we the topic is okay. how Hollywood deals with depression. So yes. uh, we've talked about Bojack. We've talked about a little bit about Mr. Robot and 13 Reasons Why. We moved on to Ingrid Goes West. Uh, these are all a bunch of recent movies that kind of have, or, or TV shows that have a more modern take on on, uh, on adult depression, I guess, in the sense that they they don't necessarily buy into the viewpoint that your life has to be really, really bad to feel depressed or yeah. that you have to resort to, you know, drugs. I mean, Bojack definitely does resort to drugs and alcohol <laughs> a lot, but it's not what the show is about. Everything. Uh, yeah. in, in the sense that a lot of movies that are it's about It's a satire abuse. in a sense, too, with that. But yeah, no, yeah, for real. Uh, so would you say that is almost like a defining characteristic of how Hollywood is dealing with depression in that we're looking for almost the alternative ways that depression uh, manifests instead of just the alcoholics and the drug addicts. We're looking at people who abuse their bodies, people who cut themselves, yes. and people who uh, act out you know, in weird ways in public. No, it's so much easier to like go to rehab or, or I mean, it's not easy, but it's so much more, I guess, acceptable to admit that you have a problem with alcohol or a problem with drugs. Or there's at least a clear a sexual path. problem. There's at least a clear path to recovery, yes. even though it's a very hard path that lots of people struggle because with. We, because we see it in movies. There's an whether, example whether, there. Yeah, whether uh, AA meetings look boring, it's presented. Mm -hmm. And we see those journeys, those struggles overcome in story arcs and movies and TV shows. But like sexual stuff, shame is like one of the very few movies I can think of off the top of my head. Maybe Dallas Buyers Club, you know, because, you know, how hard is it to you to admit you have a sexual addiction? Mm -hmm. How hard is it for you to admit that you have a, 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 a I guess gambling w would go up there with the other two, but. Uh, Lying, like I don't know, different things. You know what I mean? Yeah. That when they're not in the forefront, people don't know how to admit that they have a problem mm -hmm. because it's not something that's very accepted. Uh, take for example, uh, sexual orientation. It's become more of a normal thing. Why? Because there's more, ex uh, there's more exposure to it. Mm -hmm. That's why I like shows people like Atypical. People are more comfortable being out about it. And exactly. Stuff. That's why I like shows like Atypical because now you don't have to be that awkward person when you meet someone with autism and go like, hello. Mm -hmm. Know that they're also a person, but you don't know that when you don't spend time with them. That's why when people meet deaf people or when people meet blind people, they yell yeah. because they're not aware of that. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, no, it, I it's, think that that's a big it's, thing. It's showing an example for people, and it, it's really great. Movies to, are that. It's a really, TV is yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. You, you need those examples in media to sort of give people who, who don't know better 
uh, pathway to better behavior, to, to uh, give yes. them ground rules and stuff like so that. So it makes us ignorant, yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say that that's a big thing. The more that you show it, the more it's going to get out there. The more that you realize that depression is something that is a condition for some people. I don't suffer from it, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I, that's why I'm one of those people who's very – because, you know, we're also in a time period where people can just be lazy and blame it on depression. Right. And that ticks me off, not because I want to blame someone, because if, you know people would be very quick, who are you to define it? No, it upsets me because I know you're lazy, while that person over there legit is having a hard time mm-hmm. overcoming it because he doesn't know how to, or he or she doesn't know how to admit to it, doesn't know how to, how to declare it. And I think the more that we show that, that it's not, depression isn't misery, mm-hmm. like literally the movie Misery, <laughs> you know, that it isn't all of these depictions that we used to see before of someone being crazy, but that they can actually be normal people who are suffering from stuff. Right. That they're not always serial killers. Totally. And they can be um, alcoholic, washed out horse actors. Talking horses <laughs> who used to have a hit show in the 90s. <laughs> uh, I, I just, one last question. We'll go to this quickly before we uh, move on. But what are some of your other favorite examples of uh, sadness and depression being communicated through movies? I, I just, for me personally, I go back to, uh, I think, I mean. I already know. I already know, but go ahead and say it. My favorite movie is Punch-Drunk Love, and, and Adam Sandler's character is so Ooh. in his head in that movie. It's beautiful to me. Like, I, there's just, like, yes. little no, that's moments. that's a perfect example. There's little moments in that movie, like, where he will, uh, he goes on that date with, uh, I want to say her name's Lena, Emily Watson's oh, character. Oh, we talk, I swear, if you bring up the same thing I was bringing up, the whole camera movement? Oh, no, 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 not, the, not the camera movement. So, okay. uh, this is when uh, he, he's leaving the date, and he says, okay, bye-bye, and then he just walks <laughs> down the hallway, like, okay, bye-bye, you stupid fucking piece of shit. <laughs> like, I, I, that's, like, such a familiar feeling. And, and, yes. and it's not really shown in movies much, so it's I think not. that's a that's a great little moment from Hunch Drunk Love, and uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, I think, is another really good one. That was another one it, I thought you were going to say. Yeah, yeah. It, it deals with uh, all the nostalgia and depression of losing this relationship in a really mm-hmm. interesting way. Uh, I also thought of, just with just because bringing up Charlie Kaufman, uh, Anomalisa is another really interesting approach to depression in the fact that uh, it sort of is this allegory for a guy who doesn't find happiness in the people around him and everybody sort of is the same kind of blah to him. Uh, so yeah. I, Anomalisa, I think, is another unconventional approach from Charlie Kaufman to uh, dealing with depression on screen. <laughs> No, it's true. Those are good ones. Um, besides Jim Carrey's recent speech at that uh, art gallery. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, part of me wants to say uh, one of the most exciting ones, you know, more of a comedy, would be The Truman Show. That's more of an existential yeah. crisis, I would say, I guess, more than anything. Uh, you mentioned Kaufman, so I'm going to go super artsy for those of you who want it. Uh, Synecdoche, New York. Oh, look at you. So so that's, that's one right there. But uh, uh, for those of you with families, Inside Out, I think, is a very commercial, oh, very... Yeah. The whole like it's like the more that I think about it, it's like I never I don't care too much for Inside Out. Same. Like it's not up there with the greats for me in, in Pixar. Mm-hmm. But when I go back and I think about it, you know, when when I get into discussions like this, I always think back to Inside Out. I was like, hey, you know what's a good example? Inside. Dang it, I actually appreciate that movie more yeah. than I think. The whole the blue glow of sadness was around joy the whole time because you can't have moments of joy without. Yeah, it's deep. People, why why do we say Pixar is gone? We, we got to revise that, I guess. I don't oh. know. Uh, yeah, I mean, Pix- I, I had problems with Inside Out, but I can't... Right, no, yeah, but at the end... Pretend, I can't pretend there are a lot that. of really valid uh, yes. discussions in there, especially as a way of communicating uh, the idea of sadness to young children yes, sir. and its importance. 
So uh, those are our thoughts on how Hollywood deals with depression. But for now, we move on to our final segment of the week. It's the new to see. We're looking to theaters where, speaking about mental health, Mother, exclamation point, is Woo. out this weekend. I'm going to see that movie Thursday night. I don't know about you, Art. Yeah, uh, that remake? Of the remake of Rosemary's Baby? <laughs> yeah. It, it, I saw you retweet that po- or p- Bro, tweet out I, that no, poster. I've, I've said this since I saw the first trailer. It's Rosemary's Baby, dude. Mm-hmm. It's Rosemary's it's modern Baby. It Ro- definitely seems like modern Bro, Rosemary's Baby. It's called Mother. <laughs> <laughs> Is she producing or pregnant? I mean, I'm really, I'm really curious to see what we get. I've heard from people who are at TIFF that Michelle Pfeiffer is amazing in it. Uh, she looks good. So we, she looks hot, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, the interesting subplot that Darren Aronofsky, the director, and Jennifer Lawrence are apparently dating. Uh, and Yeah, that's right. So that's kind of an interesting twist to throw into here. So I'm curious to see what that movie is going to be like. American mm-hmm. Assassin is also out this weekend with Dylan O'Brien, Michael Keaton, Sanaa Lathan, and Taylor Kitsch. Brad Status, written and directed by Mike White, who did School of Rock and also like Enlightened White. on HBO. Uh, that's coming out this White. weekend with Ben Stiller, Jermaine Clement, Jenna Fisher, Michael Sheen, and Luke Wilson. Then Rebel in the Rye, the debut Silas from director Hodge. Danny Strong with Danny with Blake Lively, Danny Houston, and Jason Clark. Art, what did you think? Yo, this movie's getting pooped on. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like, okay, I'm going to tell you what this is. This is that biopic that you watch on Netflix. Baby Lifetime? Oh, you'd never want to hear Lifetime come up in that sense. It's sentence. decent, though. Yeah? It's cheesy, though. Like, there's some lines where, like, that's a good line, but that was so cheesy. Yeah. I don't care if you're Kevin Spacey. I, I don't care. I tend to approach debut films from actors turned directors with a lot of skepticism. Who directed it? Danny Strong. He's not particularly famous. He was on a few episodes of Mad Men. Um, you might recognize okay. his face from TV. But Maybe. He, he's, this is a guy who's established as an actor, and okay. he's making that transition. And I feel, you know, there are... Taylor Sheridan was an actor. There are actors who make a really good transition, particularly, like, lesser-known character actors. Sometimes Han Solo they, spin-off director was an actor. I think a lot of the time, though, you know, I think about, like, yeah, no, uh, Chris right. Messina made a movie... Clark Gregg made a movie. They end up being a little slow, a little indulgent, especially at first, until they then get to more interesting projects down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, another movie coming out this weekend is All I See Is You from director Mark Foster, who's fallen off the map a little bit in recent years. Uh, oh, I mixed up the stars. This is the one that's Blake Lively, Danny Houston, Jason Clark, Rebel in the Rise, Zoe Dutch, Nick Holt, Kevin Spacey, Sarah Paulson. I was about to say, I was going to say Blake Lively was not in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then in limited release this weekend because of Cratia, Woodpeckers, and In Search of Fellini. So not a lot there that I'm interested in aside from Mother, although I probably will see Brad's status. I like Mike White. I might see Bojack again. (laughs) New to streaming on Netflix. Uh, We already mentioned Bojack, which has been out for a few days now. But on September 13th, they're adding Ghost of the Mountains. On September 14th, Disney's Pocahontas. On September 15th, we're getting the new Angelina Jolie film that premiered at the Telluride Film Festival. First, yeah, they killed the my father. Oh, you read the book? Interesting. Yo, back in freshman year, they made us read that book, and I was like, "Why are we reading this?" <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm hyperventilating because I'm going to high school, and, and now what are my worries about? This, this girl lost her father. What do I care about getting picked on as a freshman? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Put your give oh, you some perspective for high school. So depressing. Uh, yeah, this movie had a little bit of controversy after a Vanity Fair profile, I believe, came out, and uh, there was some rumors that Angelina Jolie had some questionable ethics during her casting of 
uh, Cambodian orphans to play the lead role in this movie. There, there's better places to read what? about it. There's okay. better places to read about it than like listening to me half remember the details. But like she adopted all the Cambodian <laughs> orphans. Something like trial that. period for them, and then. Okay. Uh, but the movie has been getting pretty solid reviews, better reviews than the last two films she directed, both of which I'm not a fan of, Unbroken and... Wait, what did she direct? Uh, she didn't direct those? <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, your boy Roger Deakins directed them <laughs> Roger secretly. Roger Deakins directed those, right? Those. Uh, I forget the name of her first movie, uh, In Search of a Heart or some... some no, in the Something Blood and Honey? Yeah. In the in Land the, of Blood and Honey, something like that, right? Yeah, something like that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> September 15th, not only are Netflix users getting First They Killed My Father, but two new music documentaries, Foo Fighters, Back and Forth, and George Harrison, hey. Living in the Material World. So uh, music fans, some dope. cool stuff out there for you. Yeah. Hulu on September 14th is adding South Park's 21st season for Cartman Loyalists. HBO Go is adding Best Picture winner. Oh, wait, sorry, wrong envelope. La La oh, Land got on, September got 9th, on September 16th. And then on September 17th, we get the premiere of the second season of Vice Principals with Walton Goggins and Danny McBride. If, uh, Have you seen it? I haven't seen the first season. I'm okay. not I'm usually a Danny that. McBride fan, uh, but I've heard that Vice Principals is good, so... The commercials look, the trailers look trailers good. Trailers look funny. I have it. to give it to them. Uh, Shudder, the horror streaming service on September Yo, 14th. It's, dude. It's good invest, stuff. It's invest good in stuff. stock now. <laughs> it's, so on September 14th, they are adding the movie Let Me Make You a Martyr. This is a horror movie starring Marilyn Manson. And it's premiering exclusively <laughs> on the no. horror streaming service. Uh, but then on September 18th, they're adding the movie Grand Piano. And if you're a fan of Damien oh, Chazelle yeah. and La La Land, that is a script yeah, that he wrote yeah. before he made Whiplash. Uh, this movie stars Elijah Wood as well. <laughs> Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. It's a cartoon, but I love it. <laughs> it's one of those movies where it's so crazy. Mm. I heard the ending is actually really good, which w would make Chazelle three for three on endings. Maybe. I can't remember it, but it's insane. <laughs> All right, so uh, those are the new in theaters and streaming options for this weekend. Art, what is your pick for the week? Mother, I guess. Yeah. Mother's really Bojack, good. Bojack, I mean, other than, it? you know, how we usually do. It? You got to see It with a group of friends. That's what that movie is. Yeah. That's why it's good. Well, Watch it's probably good to go then, like, sooner rather than later before the theaters are no longer crowded. Like, comedies oh, yeah. and horrors that's you really need yeah. to see in a crowded theater. Pack it in. No, that's what made it. One of the audience members going, oh, heck no. Another one, like, just literally, ah, like, crying. You got to see with an audience. Yeah. See with a clown. Go dress up as a clown if you can. <laughs> yeah, please. Oh, uh, so, yeah, the it'll be tonight by the time we post, the, but uh, tomorrow night... Uh, the Alamo Draft House here in New York is doing their clown-only clown screening. Should I show up? Like, should I go? Please, go. Uh, I might have to and vlog that. Thing. Yeah, I might have to vlog that. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> Dude, that is, that is an experience right there. <laughs> I'm probably going to go see it uh, sometime this week, but I definitely recommend everybody check out BoJack Horseman. If you are somehow not on the BoJack uh, hype train, get on it, because that is just some of the most brilliant TV out there. I... Uh, we didn't really get into it here on the podcast, but I will say I did think the fourth season was not as good as previous seasons. Still, no, still is it's amazing. It's not bad. It's still amazing. Yeah, I, like you're I'm not watching, even, I'm like, not even gonna say good. I'm saying amazing. No, I feel you 100. I, I honestly, I think maybe the third season 
Second season as my I think is the funniest. Second season I think is my Second favorite. Season Third my favorite season too. though is when they're like, you know what? How about we make this a work of art? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? How about we make every single episode like a different narrative technique? Mm-hmm. Uh, season four, I called it uh, fan service. Usually that's a negative term. What I mean by that is like it's just it's earned all of its jokes. Mm-hmm. Where you know you're looking out for something, and they know you're looking for it, and they just put, hey, here's a flashback. Flashback joke goes here. Right. The George Clooney one? Do you remember George Clooney? Isn't it George Clooney's? Eh, who cares? Yeah. That's what season four is. And it's it's them flexing, really, is what they're doing. It's saying, you're here for the fourth season. You know what's up. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's, yeah, like you mentioned, there's not as much of the, like, experimentation with structure or uh in episode type it's actually it's actually quite simple yeah uh, it really is which is kind of what threw me off i think at first but i've already rewatched the whole season really <laughs> yeah okay so tell me am i wrong does not like a little bit more but the entire second half just feel like one episode of trying to find the mom that's what i thought it was i felt like that is an entire other ones we got different things going on but literally it just feels like the whole thing is just that. There's a couple things that happen, uh, particularly the 11th episode, which, you know, it, they always do that penultimate episode on BoJack where the penultimate episode is very trippy and different. So that definitely breaks it up. Um, I f- this is what it is. I found every other story to be more interesting than BoJack's, I think. That is another thing that was kind of interesting. Uh, I, I think this was one of the least BoJacky seasons of BoJack Horseman. I, li- I like... You know what? I'm complaining about it, but I like that. I like that we didn't see him in the first episode. Yeah, I thought that was a cool, cool. That touch was cool. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I definitely recommend BoJack Horseman, but because uh, I, you know that would have been my recommendation regardless, and it's, you guys know how it goes. You know how we're it goes. talking about it. We're recommending it. So uh, I'm going to throw out another recommendation for Ingrid Goes West. It's probably not going to be in theaters much longer, so if it's in your area, uh, check it out before you get the chance. Before you don't get the chance to see it in theaters. I like it a lot. It's got a great, maybe career best performance from Aubrey Plaza, uh, showing so, yeah. some range that I've not really expected to see from her when I saw her, you know, as the, as the dark kind of mm-hmm. person on uh, Parks and Recreation. But she's really, really good, emotional and funny in this role. Elizabeth Olsen's great, also really good. O'Shea Jackson Jr. What th- a charming like dude! You didn't like him? He is. No, I think he's like super cool. But I feel like I'm watching my friend in a movie, and I'm just going like, "Well, you can't." Well, they can't. I want to hang out with O'Shea Jackson in, in Ingrid Goes West. Ah, <laughs> oh, but he feels like he's acting. In my opinion, he's got that persona where you're like, "Boy, you do you, but you're not an actor." <laughs> you're not an actor. All right. Well, I I liked it a lot. I would definitely check out Ingrid Goes West. Good. That's all for this week's show, though. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter or Instagram, at ZShevich. And check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash multiplexshow, where I'll be posting some new videos shortly. Art, where can people find more from you? Find me at The ADZ Show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. I'm trying to upload at... Um, I'm not going to say daily basis, but I'm trying to upload at least three times a week, hey. trying to get just a bunch of stuff in September, uh, trying to find, you know, just just trying to experiment with different things. You know, I call myself the A to Z show, so I just want to make it more of a show format and uh, just because we have a lot of thoughts on things. So I just want to be able to put thoughts. them out there. So check me out over there. We can discuss. We can argue. We can fight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just you're you're branching out into some music videos some now, Some music too. stuff. Some people don't like that. Some people adore it. <laughs> Some people aren't watching the video. How about you do that? Unsubscribed. <laughs> this isn't what I'm here for. I don't pay you with uh, my time for uh, yeah, this. Yeah, so, okay. That's cool. 
<laughs> you can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast by checking us out uh, on iTunes, or uh, we are moving our SoundCloud thing, so that'll be updated soon. Make sure to subscribe here on YouTube, though, where every episode shows up first. New episodes are posted mm -hmm. Tuesdays. And also, make sure to like our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. They're all at Intercut Pod. That's Intercut P-O-D. For updates throughout the week from both of us, uh, I be, I'm retweeting a lot of the stuff that we do there. So you don't even have to follow me in art. You can check out Intercut and you'll get Good a lot Intercut. of our best updates. But thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, of course, of course, that's what you get when you fall for a horse. Babu.